All right, Toyota, everybody. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. A workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced technology to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available technology this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales events deals when you visit buy a Toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Byrne. It's time for the Thursday afternoon just before Friday, Monday morning podcast. And I am checking in on you. What's going on? How's your week been going? Oh, Jesus, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. I'm out here in LA. It's overcast. It's gloomy, it's rainy, which is a good thing, which is a good thing, because we always need the fucking rain out here. And I'm so pissed at, at whoever the, I don't know, it was the mayor, I don't know who it was, but last year it rained like it's never rained out here. And this fucking asshole goes, okay, you know, the drought's officially over. It's like, it's never over. There was never supposed to be a city out here. Okay, so whatever we got, we need to conserve because uh, who the fuck knows when it's going to rain again? So what do I see? What do I see the other day? I see this whole fucking thing. This video about how they put these giant black rubber balls. They just roll them into lakes, I think. And I believe that it's to try to prevent, you know, to slow down the evaporation of the water in this searing heat out here. And once again, they're saying that we're in a drought. And does anybody go back to the stupid ass fucking mayor or the governor or the lieutenant something, whatever, whatever the fuck the person's position is that makes the ignorant statement that the drought is over. So every stupid cunt out here goes back to fucking taking an extra long shower. Of course not. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's not your job as a politician. Your job as a politician is not to tell people what's going on. It's to make people feel that everything is going to be okay. You make them feel like everything's going to be okay when when everything isn't okay, and then you make people scared shitless when there's really nothing to be afraid of. And that is my cynical fucking view on a cloudy fucking L.A. morning. Oh, these people, oh, they're, they're, they're coming to get you. Oh, there's plenty of water. Fucking take a nice long shower, you stupid cunt. Um, well, that's not that. You know, we're getting towards the end of the week. Why, would, why, 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 why would I come at you so in this way? I'm a little grumpy today. I'm a little grumpy. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, and then I got to. Uh, I'm going out to Pittsburgh today. I got Pittsburgh and I got Cincinnati this weekend. Two fucking towns where people ain't afraid to work. At least their dads weren't. And their dad's dad, but these kids now are sitting around playing video games, trying to fucking come up with an app. That ain't steel working, is it? Um, I'm going out there. Some of my uh, 
great friends that I've met in this business live in Pittsburgh. And uh, so I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning. I'm going to be on the uh, the morning show, Randy Bauman and Bill Crawford, WDVE. So tune in if you're in Pittsburgh. Um, I always try to make sure that I, when I come back that I do their show because I, rem- I remember back in the day when I would go there and I would play the fucking Pittsburgh improv out at the Stacks. It's this mall out there. And they literally have, they kept the Stacks from, you know, when we used to fucking produce shit in this country. And uh, from the old steel mills or whatever. And uh, I used to go down there and I'd sell, oh, about 30, 35 tickets. I mean, it was a fucking hard ticket to sell. I can't explain it. That goddamn mall, first of all, there was one way in and one way out on this skinny bridge, if I remember correctly. And it took, it just took forever to get in and out of there. And uh, if nobody knew who the fuck you were, it was very difficult to sell tickets. So uh, Randy used to put me on the show. He'd be like, dude, just come in Tuesday. Do, do the fucking show every single day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'd come in. I would do it. Just sit in for the, almost the whole show all four days in a row. And then I finally started selling tickets. So, you know, now that I'm selling tickets, I don't want to come back to Pittsburgh like old Billy Big Shot, Right. I got to go back there and kiss the fucking ring. They made me what I was in the steel city. Um, and of course, they're going to probably fucking give me shit. I already, I'm already willing to believe that they're going to give me shit about the last Patriots-Steelers game. Those poor fucking people. I can't remember the last time the Steelers beat the Patriots. It's unbelievable. They used to beat the fuck out of us when we were kids. I'm just trying to enjoy the last fucking whatever Tom Brady has left, because I know it's going to be, it's like Dolphin fans. They're still waiting for the next day in Marino. They've been waiting since 99. An entire generation has grown up watching them lose to the Patriots. In my whole childhood, I watched us lose to the Dolphins. Bob fucking Greasy, right? And then he finally retires like, oh, thank God, right? And then somehow Don Shula still got David Woodley and Don Strzok to trade off at that position. And they went to another fucking Super Bowl. Granted, they lost. They still kicked our ass. And then they get Dan Marino. So our lives were fucking miserable for a good 17 years. So, uh, you know what? That's an interesting question. I would love to see. What is the Patriots' lifetime record against the Miami Dolphins? Let's see here. Patriots versus... Dolphins, all time. Uh, wait, no, no, no. What, what did I just say? I said it perfectly. Lifetime record. See if we get it here. This is why the internet's fucking great. This is why it's fucking great. Wait, what do you mean the pa- the Patriots won eleven went eleven and ten in the eighties against the Dolphins? That's not fucking possible. Wait a minute. Okay. In the 60s, the Dolphins won. They won four out of seven. They were four and three. In the 70s, they were 13 and seven. In the 80s, the Patriots were 11 and 10. I never would have known that. In the 90s, they were 14 and seven. Oh, we didn't even do that well against them. In 2000s, we were 11 and 9 versus them. I didn't even know that it was that close. I thought they destroyed us in the 80s, and we won one more game than them 
And I thought we killed them in the 2000s. We were 11 and 9. And then this decade, we were 12 and 4. All right, so who's winning here? Oh, Jesus. 12 and 11 is 23, everybody. I can't fucking do this. This is going to take forever. You know what? I just realized I don't care. Can, can you do? give me a total? Do I have to fucking think? I mean, this is the Internet. The whole fucking reason to get on this is not to think. All right, let's see here. Dolphins won 17, 17 and 10 after two decades. Then they were 27 and 21. Oh, then they crushed us. 27 and 21. Then they were 35 and 28. My brain's going to explode here. 35 and 28. Then they were 44 and 39. Then 48 and 51. I believe I just did the math correctly. They're 48 and 51. I'll tell you, but a real even matchup. Swap and pay for the last four fucking decades. See that right there. Whenever I gamble on football, I always stay away from division rivalries because it makes no fucking sense. But somehow, it's like the Jets. As much as the Jets suck, they still are the Bills or whatever. That You're still going to go like, you know, I don't know. One of them's going to get you. You're going to have a letdown. Hey, play it twice a year. It's really hard to beat two, two times the same team with the same fucking season. All right. Let's get down to what I really want to talk about. Dean Del Rey's. 52nd birthday party slash tribute to Bon Scott at the Avalon. Might have been the most fun I've ever fucking had um, since I got into this business. Um, it was a stand-up show slash comedy show. If you don't, if you didn't see the flyer. And um, the stand-up show was Joey Diaz, who should have been closing. And then Mark Marin, and then myself. They should have flipped the fucking order. But uh, we came out. We did. Done, Dean, of course, hosted the show. It was sold out. And uh, and then in the end, Dean went up in front of this all star band and sang the entire Power Age album. I got to see Mark Marin play lead guitar, and I got to sit in on three songs on drums. And uh, it's the best I ever played. And I still had a train wreck during fucking live wire. But other than that, it was fucking great. And, uh, dude, it was... I, mean, I, I just want to thank everybody who played and let me be a part of that. Dean Del Rey for putting it together. Scotty and Nikki Six, Mike Devin, Rudy Sazzo, Josh Z, Dave Kushner, Steve Gorman. Fucking murdered it on drums. Uh, Mark Marin, George Lynch. I know I probably forgot a couple of people. Um, whoever the one got all like, they, they got like the, the same amps and guitars in exact gear that ACDC used back then. So they had that crunch so- sound. I know that we've been posting clips on Instagram and everything and, uh, around the, <clears throat> around the internet, but it was fucking unbelievable, unbelievable night. And I already knew that I love Steve Gorman as a drummer, but just watching him fucking murdering for an entire hour uh it was incredible i still ca- i still cannot believe that that happened fucking playing drums and i'm looking up in this fucking <laughs> fucking nikki six playing bass scotty and on guitar i don't think i'll ever get over that people um that was another thing you know and that the hardest thing about doing that is is sitting there going how the f- what the fuck am i doing here 
Um, but Jesus Christ, Dean Del Rey, I've never heard him sing better. Um, you know, because now he got himself in like ridiculous shape. You know what's hilarious is if you can somehow find clips two years ago when we did it and Dean sang the entire Highway to Hell album. And I believe the next day or two days later, he went to the doctor trying to figure out why he was still tired and his levels or something were off. And then that's when he uh, he went on this this diet, you know, his new diet that, you know, that fucking guy gets locked into something and he's just into it. You know what I mean? You know, I just quit drinking and then, you know, eventually I come back to it. That dude quits. It's fucking over. It's past him. And um, but if you look at the difference, he doesn't even look like the same person. Like two, two, a little over two years ago when we did the last one, he looked like a fucking, he looked like he'd been on the police force with a desk job for like fucking 25 years. Um, did some undercover work. He got in a little too deep and then they fucking, they pulled him out, you know, and he got rid of whatever drug addiction he had and he put it into fucking donuts and eating colorful cereal. That's what this fucking guy looked like. And like you look at him now, he doesn't even look like the same person. In fact, he told me the other day he ran into somebody and started talking to him and they were acting all weird. And he had to like reintroduce himself because they just thought he was some sort of weird fan. <laughs> so um, he already killed it a few years ago, but uh, and he was horrifically out of shape. And now this year he was in unbelievable shape and he fucking fucking murdered it and uh and i want to also give a shout out to this one dude in the crowd the crowd was amazing but this one fucking dude he took me back to the 80s when i used to see shows at the worcester centrum worcester the providence civic center this guy he had the long hair not styled at all Okay, not the way after a while they learned. Back in the day, when you just grew your hair to piss off your parents, you just didn't cut it. You know, if you look at like fucking Robert Plant's hair in like before he got the do in the 80s, right? It, you just let it go out. This guy had, I guess it was more of a 70s haircut. He just parted it down the middle and let it fucking go. He had the the black fingerless gloves, the jean jacket with the band patches on it and shit. And he was headbanging vintage headbanging like it was like 84 before glam came in and he wasn't just headbanging with the beat he was whatever the guitars were doing uh like my neck hurt watching him and uh, i don't know if he noticed but everybody that was on the show at some point noticed him and was pointing like laughing going like this fucking guy i remember guys like this and uh we actually i actually ran into him at the end of the show and uh uh, Themelis took a little bit of video, so hopefully uh, it was just the coolest fucking crowd ever. Like somebody walked by the line, it's like, dude, it looks like heavy metal parking lot meets the comedy store. It was perfect. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard if Dean's going to do it again, but I got a feeling it was so much fun. There's no fucking way he's not going to do it again. And... Um, you, you, you owe it to yourself. You got to come out here because people are going like, dude, you got to take this show on the road. It's just too many fucking amazing people that have their own careers. All those musicians. I don't know how the fuck you would get that on the road somewhere. Maybe you could do a one off somewhere in New York City or something. I have no idea. Um, but that's another great thing about living in L.A. is all these guys are out here in L.A. and everybody's always shitting on L.A. 
going like, oh, fucking a bunch of phony fucking blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and then that happens. That happens. Um, and everyone was so generous. And I remember afterwards, like, uh, I don't know, just everybody was just so fucking, everybody, like, was literally a fan of ACDC, and it was just the greatest night ever. So thank you to Dean Del Rey, uh, the All Things Comedy Network, um, Let There Be Talk podcast, and... Uh, Amazing comedian now who gets sustained rounds of applause uh, on the last couple dates I did with him. Um, so happy for him. It was just a fucking night of my life. Of his life, too, I should say. I'm fucking making it about myself. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know. That's weird. That was all positive. Now that's kind of thrown me off my game here. <laughs> I got to trash something now. Oh, I actually am taking a connecting flight. To Pittsburgh, because the only direct flight is on Southwest, and I just cannot fucking handle the stand-up comedy that they try to do on those things. It just, it's excruciating. The jokes never work, at least when I'm on there, and then there's just this awkward pause, and everybody sort of laughs out of the awkwardness, and it's just, I find it unbelievably fucking unprofessional considering we're all on a fucking plane that always, you know, that's the always the outside chance this thing could crash. As we're going down the tarmac and the guy's doing a Darth Vader voice, make sure your seatbelt is on, doing this shit and, and everybody's <laughs> fucking laughing. It's like, Dude, what the fuck are you doing? <sighs> Sorry. Um, I don't, I don't know why it bothers me as much as it does, because I actually, I told you last time, I went on the internet and I tried to find people that agreed with me, and I couldn't find one post. I went through four pages of the internet when I searched, you know, flight attendants doing their comedy routines, and all it was was glowing reviews. So at some point, I guess I just have to admit that it's me. That is me, but, uh, you know, they have an incredible safety record over there. They really do, but I don't think it's because of those fucking... Those fuck. I mean, I, I don't know. I almost made a fucking joke that I, I, I I'm not going to do that joke because we live in a time that you just can't make jokes like that. But just know that it involved Muhammad Atta. <laughs> <laughs> How about those Boston Bruins, everybody? They are tied. We just got smoked by the Tampa Bay Lightning, four to nothing. Uh, we are tied for points. We got three games left. We're paying, playing the uh, Panthers, the Senators, and then the Panthers again um, to see who's going to have, I guess, home ice throughout the whole Eastern Conference fucking playoffs. Congratulations to them. This amazing season, this amazing rebuild. You know, since we let all of those guys go from our 2011, essentially 2011 Stanley Cup team, the fact that they turned it around this quick, quickly um, has been incredible. And the only thing that sucks right now is the Canadians suck. You know, because I would be like really excited, you know, when we get this good, you want to go play a good Canadian team, uh, Montreal Canadiens team, and have a great classic seven-game series. And, um, you know... It's like if the Yankees suck and the Red Sox are good or vice versa, it's, it's not fun for the fans, you know, unless you're just a douchebag and you like to see a one-sided event. But um, playoffs are coming up. Celtics, it's coming up. I haven't been able to watch any fucking games. The amount of times I've had five or six games 
Bruins games or Celtics games just you know backlogged and I I can only watch the first period of one game like I did the Lightning game and then I got to erase all of them because it takes up too much space I just don't have the fucking time you know this should be yawning yawning like the fucking parent I am right now proud to be a parent but Jesus Christ you're fucking and I, I you know I got all the packages and I I think I'm gonna have to get rid of them I don't even, I can't, you know, I don't even have fucking time to watch them. This is all good reasons why I don't have time to watch them. But, uh, you know, I, the Red Sox came out, I think we're like five and one. Everybody's excited about our pitching staff. The Red Sox, who are now the evil empire. And the Yankees are this little team that could, that has, you know, 500 zillion fucking dollars. Uh, but the way the Yankees did it versus the way the Red Sox did it, we've literally become them. But uh, it seems to be working for us, and it's working for the Yankees. So I have a bet this year with Paul Verzi, the pride of Trenton, via Newark, New Jersey. Paul Verzi, 50 bucks a game in the regular season. And I also have another 50 bucks a game with, uh, with my agent who books me on the road. So I figure if I, if I put some money on it, I'll be able to, you know, at least pay attention because I, I don't want to miss all this shit. I don't become that dad that, that doesn't know any, any of the players' names, you know? He starts talking about Omar Moreno and fucking Dave Foley. Uh, what the fuck? Tim Foley. Dave Foley. He's from Kids in the Hall. Tim Foley and all these old guys. Willie McGee, you know? It's like listening to that guy who doesn't know, you know, when I was a kid, talk, still talking about Stan Musial. Um, all right, let me read some of the fucking advertising here, and then I got to uh, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to pack my bags, go out to Burbank, get on the fucking plane. Toyota, you know, we all agree that reducing emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, yet they make up less than 10% of all new vehicles today. That's because right now they cost more. They're too expensive, just like all new technology. Consumers worry about range and whether or not they'll be able to find a charging station. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture the batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision of a carbon neutral future. The materials used to make just one long range battery for an EV electric vehicle could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, hey, let's go places. Um, where am I going here? Who do we got here? Who do we got here? All right. Dollar Shave Club, everybody. All right. Get rid of all the junk that's lying around your bathroom and give it the cleaning it deserves. Unless you live with a woman. Then just continue to enjoy your one-eighth of the fucking countertop in the bathroom. You probably don't really have any clutter, do you? Freshen it up with... You ever try to, like, clean up your side, your little fucking third of the house to try to guilt your wife into picking up some of her stretchy pants? It doesn't really work, does it? That was my goal. I was just going to be, I'm just going to fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead by example. You can't lead by example. You got to lead by uh, example, and you have to accompany it with um, loud sighing. <sighs> and then passive aggressive. What's the matter? Nothing. 
What do you mean nothing? What's the matter? Well, you know, it's just, you know, you kind of got your stretchy pants all over the... Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I didn't do it on purpose. Um, Fresh, where does that go? Where does it go? It goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Okay, that's why God invented the garage. That's the place where you just go out there where you have the stuff that you really love that you kind of have locked out there so she won't throw it out. Uh, Freshen it up with high-quality products from Dollar Shave Club. (coughs) Dollar Shave Club members can get everything they need delivered right to their door. Dollar Shave Club has razors, shave butter, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. You'll get an amazing high-quality shave every morning using Dollar Shave Club's executive razor. I can't stop yawning. They're Dr. Cavies. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to get on that fucking plane, and everybody's going to have the shades down, except for that one fucking asshole who not only has their shade open, also has the overhead lighting on. You get an amazing high-quality shave every morning using Dollar Shave Club's executive razor. Their Dr. Carvey's Easy Shave Butter goes on clear so you can see where you're shaving. That makes no sense. If it goes on clear, how can you see where you're shaving? You need the fucking white foam to show that you already did that part of your face, right? You're saying that you can see through the shave butter? I don't know. And since Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you, you don't have to, you don't have to set a foot in a store wandering around the aisles. Hunting for razors, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, none of it. You can just eat yourself into an early grave. Eventually, your wife has to fucking shave you. Clean up your... Let's how about a round of applause for all the people that stay with people that get that big. You know what I mean? And they got to take them down to the fucking car wash, you know, the self-car wash, and take out that fucking scrubber that the soap shoots out of. You know? <laughs> Tie the person to the fucking... F- front fender like a goddamn make a shot an elk and you just scrub them down um clean up your bathroom and your morning uh and your morning routine with dollar shave club's daily essential starter kit for just five dollars with free shipping you get the six blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter body cleanser and one wipe chari oh chari then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month speaking of your next month for a limited time only use the code burr b-u-r-r at checkout to get five dollars off your second month of the club that's code burr at dollarshaveclub.com to save five dollars on your second month join the club today all right legal zoom it's a fact of life attorneys are expensive you're likely to pay around three hundred dollars an hour Fuck. That's just one reason why smart business owners turn to LegalZoom. Sure, over 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses with LLCs, incorporations, and more. I got to take out this fucking Invisalign. There we go. But even right after your business is set up, LegalZoom can can help you out. Things like lease agreements, changing tax laws, and contract reviews. Can you fucking do a post-nuptial prenup with this? I don't know. Are all part of running your own business. Do you promise to love, hold, and cherish and pick up your fucking stretchy pants 
when he sighs loudly? I do. Well, maybe. I don't know. Why are you being mean to me? But these are precisely the kinds of legal hurdles that take time and effort away from growing your business. That's why LegalZoom created their business legal plan. With it, you get legal advice for your business from vetted independent attorneys. Vetted. That means they didn't take their dick out at work. That's what vetted means now, at least in Hollywood. right? And tax professionals available in every state. You can also... You also receive access to NDAs, lease agreements, and more. The best part is you don't, you won't get charged by the hours since LegalZoom isn't a law firm. Instead, you just pay one low upfront price. (sighs) Call to action. LegalZoom, these yawns have nothing to do with you. Check out LegalZoom's business legal plan at LegalZoom.com now and get special savings when you enter Burr at checkout. LegalZoom where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com, you sons of bitches. All right. What else do I have to say? Do I have anything else to say? Um, actually, I don't. Let's talk about how I know how to pack now. All right. One pair of jeans, two shirts, underwear and socks, and that's it. You slam it in a fucking bag. You never have to sit there at the fucking turnstile. I don't give a fuck. If I was, if I was going on the road for, the, for a year, that's exactly what I would bring. Never coming home again. I don't give a fuck. And you wear black. That's why Johnny Cash wore black, so they couldn't tell he was wearing the same fucking shirt every day, right? That's how, that's how you got to do it. You got to wear dark colors. You know, you start walking around dressing all flashy. All of a sudden... You got to be like Mariah Carey, bringing all this bedazzled shit out on the fucking road. I always think that that's why she's always in such a mood. You know what I mean? She always seems to be talking, yet also thinking about something else at the same time. I think she's probably wondering, did I pack those bedazzled red bottom shoes that have my face in diamonds on them? Can we talk about divas for a minute? You know, is there a reason... You know why they're vetting all these men out here in Hollywood, yet they're leaving the divas alone. I mean, just think about how many phones they've thrown at fucking people that are probably working for free. You know, the amount of time they've slapped people in the face, just said horrible things. At what point are we going to hold the Diana Ross's fucking high heel shoes to the fire? That's what I want to know. That's that's your homework between now and Monday. Don't you know when people say that? That's your homework. I took a yoga class the other day. It was fucking awesome. I went there with my wife, you know, and uh, I actually, I actually, I, I found this, um, this, you know, they have fake mustaches. They actually now have like fake man buns. And I actually had a little fucking Velcro strip, strip that I glued to my head and I stuck it on the back of my head, my bald head. And I went there and it was great. I've noticed that yoga teachers, for some reason, they can't just take you through the fucking class. They always have to, for whatever reason, they always have to tell you a fucking story about how they failed during their life. And then they remembered, oh, look who's here. Come busting through the door. Hey, buddy, do you got your ACDC high voltage rock and roll 1975 onesie on? Okay, I guess I got to put the mic down because somebody wants a hug. How you doing? Do you have any idea how much I'm going to miss you over the next couple of days? Huh? You know that's why I take the earliest flight back? So I can see you, sing you the itsy-bitsy spider? 
Huh? How about I can sing you some ACDC this morning? Huh? Back in black. Hit sack. I bet you know I'm glad to be back because I'm getting loose from the noose. You know, that was, that was the song for Bon Scott. Back in black like they were at a funeral. Come on. Um, all right. I'm done with the podcast. What are you guys having for breakfast? Hi. Can you say hi? Nothing? There you go. Hi. All right. I'll be in there in a minute. Thanks for helping me get through the last 90 seconds of the podcast, cutie pie. Um, oh, yeah. We got all, I got all this rock stuff that I always put around. Whenever, she, whenever I dress her, you know, they got these things. I got these Motley Crue onesies. What is it called? Hey, what, what is, what's the Motley Crue one? Instead of shout at the devil, shout at your mama. They're, they're fucking adorable. What the hell is it called? They're all like these, these cute, like, toddler puns. And uh, the, the, the level of clothes that ki- kids can wear now, even as toddlers, like they, they didn't have any of that shit. When I was a kid, we had like choo-choo trains, you know, some sort of cowboys and Indians that just completely ignored the genocide that happened. <laughs> That's what the fuck we had. We didn't have all these cool rock onesies, you know. I'll tell you, these damn kids, they're spoiled today. Um, well, I need to save this. I signed up for global entry, you know. The Illuminati, one step closer to make building my fucking robot replacement when I answer all these fucking questions. But um, I just, I just got to have it now that I'm bringing my family. And I'm fucking proud. That makes me feel to, to say that I actually have a family after just being this isolated psycho. It's the fucking greatest. It's the greatest thing ever. I love going to the mall. I like going to the park, pushing my kid on the swing. I remember looking at people thinking, and I always knew having a kid was cool, but I used to think on some, some level I was sad for those people. I, I had it totally fucking wrong. So anyways, I'm going to, uh, I'm doing a gig in London, England, um, Dublin, and then over to London, uh, doing Royal Albert Hall, which was an absolute dream of mine. And uh, I'm going to record that night. Hopefully I'm going to do enough time. I'm going to make the double album that I'm only going to put out on vinyl. After I made fun of people that listen to records only on my last podcast, that's what I'm going to do. It's what I wanted to do at Madison Square Garden, and the recording got fucked up. So I'm going to make sure I get it done right. And uh, I also am going to try to get a drum kit there so I can play during the day, and hopefully I can find some fucking somebody to jam with over there. Uh, but anyways, afterwards I'm going to take a little week off um, over there in Europe, and I'm bringing the whole family over. So when you got a little one flying that far, it's going to be a friggin' nightmare. Uh, so at the very least, we can at least blow through the security by giving up a ridiculous amount of privacy by answering all these questions. That's, I, I just had to do a, you know, what's, I had to make a sacrifice there. So, um, that's it. That's the podcast. Once again, thank you to everybody involved with Dean Del Rey's, uh, birthday celebration and all of that. I mean, that was just. I, I, you know, I, I took some video during sound check. I got to put it up. You cannot fucking believe how good that band sounded. It, they top notch musicians playing out of all that gear from the late seventies. It was fuck. I was getting like goosebumps. Uh, I know I took a couple of, um, I walked out into where the crowd was going to be before they, they, they brought everybody in and just listening to those 
how fucking good they are. And I got to tell you too, Steve Gorman, just watching a professional fucking drummer. is just my favorite goddamn up that close is my favorite thing. It's just, it's like, how do they make it sound that good? He was incredible. Um, so anyways, I'll try to post some of that. And after we, I, I came down for the sound check because I was so nervous that I was going to inevitably fuck up the songs, which of course I did in a number of areas. Um, but I plowed through, but, uh, I wanted to make sure I had one more crack at it before the people came in. But, uh, after we were done with the sound check, um, it was me, Mike Devin, I think Josh Z. And we just, we just started playing some, I started playing some Bonham beats and then they just jumped right in and Devin started singing. I put the immigrant song up there and, uh, it was just, it was so much fucking fun. Um, so I hope Dean continues to do that every other year or whatever the fuck he wants to do. And anytime he wants to do it, if he'll have me on, I would be honored to be there because uh, that really was, was perfect. It was perfect. My dream of being a stand-up comedian and then my dream hobby that I was never good enough to do professionally playing drums. It was just fucking awesome. So a thousand thanks to him. All right? With that, here's some, here's some music picked out by Andrew Themelis before we give you another half hour from a Thursday afternoon podcast from earlier this year or a year gone by. I don't know what, but that's it. Have a great weekend, you cunts. I'll talk to you on Monday. YouTube video of this week. You really have to watch it. Okay, it's one of those shows. It's basically it's a rip off of the View. It's four broads sitting around, and they got you know the same thing. You know, they got the older one, they got the sexy one, they got the one who was fat and then got her fucking stomach tied up like a goddamn balloon knot. Now she's dropping weight faster than a junkie. Right? I don't even know if that's true. I just looked around them. You know, they got the racially mixed chick, and they all got on their fucking shoes. Right? Their little outfits. Uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Somebody's knocking. I'll let you know what this is. All right. You guys aren't going to believe this shit. That was security. And they just said that they they had a noise complaint. Anyways, you know what? Some rich cunts on the other side of the door with a fucking piece of one of those really fancy glasses that they think came from France but actually came from a fucking pottery barn. Um, if you can hear me, go fuck yourself. <clears throat> this is what you get for nuking the economy. Um, anyway, so these four fucking broads are on TV, right? And they ended up, they're talking about that guy. They're doing that story, you know, that story where that dude got his dick cut off. Men out there, brace yourselves because we're about to go there because <laughs> this woman. We're about to go there because this woman allegedly did. According to the Orange County DA's office, Catherine Q. Becker is accused of cutting off her husband's penis with a knife, oh. taking his penis and throwing it into the garbage disposal. <laughs> so they're talking about that guy who got his dick cut off.
His wife drugged him, tied him to a bed, cut his dick off, threw it in a garbage disposal, and turned it on. And it was basically because he wanted to get a divorce from her. Police say Becker attacked him because he filed for divorce. (laughs) She mutilated him. She ended the guy's fucking life. Any sort of quality life is over. And these women are talking about it. And lo and behold, it's fucking hilarious to him. (laughs) She is being held in California. They had all they could do to keep a straight face during the first minute of setting up the story. And then all the jokes come and they're laughing their fucking asses off. I do think it's quite fabulous. I mean, (laughs) I mean, can you just imagine that thing whizzing around the disposal? It's like hysterical. I would have just thrown it in the dog's bowl. Why does a dog have to suffer? (laughs) Chewing on an old bone. It's the funniest fucking thing ever. And this right here, it's because of that type of shit that I don't feel that I am misogynistic. I just don't. I think that I am just like women. I trash women the way they trash guys. It's just nobody pays attention to the broads. They don't. Do you think if a guy mutilated a woman in any shape or form, that four guys on a pregame NFL show would be laughing about it. And we'll hear more of that talk a little bit later as well. Sharon Osbourne was the guest, and she goes, somebody asked, do you think the guy deserved it? And she goes, well, it depends on what he did. I think I would have just, depending on why she cut it off. I mean, it does depend on the reasons why. Does it? Oh, yeah. Yes, standards. You know, I mean, that thought is totally overlaps the thought of those morons in the Middle East who cut women's clits off. You know, it's fucking medieval thought and it's just considered silly. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. But it maintains what I've always fucking said, that women will do to you exactly what they don't want you to do to them if you let them. And I think why so many guys are miserable in marriages is they get married too fucking young before they really know how to stick up for themselves in a relationship. And that's why before you know it, you're married and all your shit is either in the basement or the garage and she's barely touching it. And, uh, and you're wondering what the fuck happened to your life. You know, I don't know. The video is, is going to be up on the mmpodcast.com. You know, something. this is actually, I like this talking like this. This is very challenging to try and be funny with a late night DJ voice. All right. This next chunk of the podcast goes out to the ladies. Ladies, if you're out there and you're single, hang in there. There's a date rapist on the horizon.
what's going on. It is uh, Bill Burr, and this is the Monday Morning Podcast for Monday. Uh, I'm going to go with April 4th. I have no fucking idea what day it is because I'm doing something uh, unique this week where uh, people have asked me, saying, Bill, you know, every week, you know, you do your podcast. It's just you babbling. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it isn't. Why don't you have a fucking guest on there every once in a while? How about a comedian? That people uh, people want to know about or already know about, want to hear his views on other shit. So this week, this is a very special episode <laughs> of the Monday Morning Podcast. Well, I will be doing it with uh, the one and only Mark Marin. Mark, what's Thank going you. on? Thank you for having me, Bill. I didn't realize that I was actually one of the first guests. You've never had a guest. I've had uh, Joe DeRosa, who I do a I, I do a show with on uh, every once every I think. Uh, Leap year, we do an episode of this show, Uninformed. We used to do it on XM. It's a long fucking story. But, so you uh, have to have him on because he uh, lives in your apartment. Yeah. He, he, there you go. <laughs> That's it. It's part of the contract. It's in his lease. That's basically, yeah. He lets me crash when I come back to New York to do, uh, to do Caroline's. He sees yeah. the mixer. I feel bad. I'm like, all right, grab a microphone. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. But yeah, you're the, you're the, first, you're the first one outside of the, uh, the family. You know what you are? You're Tim Roth and Reservoir Dogs. You're the only one I'm not sure of. So I, I end up with a gut shot? Yeah. yeah I'm going to be uh, laying there in the garage the whole fucking movie? You're going to tell me you're a cop or something towards <laughs> the end of this. Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. No. I, I wish I had that big a secret. No, but basically, you know what the funny thing is, is uh, uh, if, if the audio sounds different, which means clearer this week, is um, I'm actually, this is how I have guests. This is the only way I do guests on the Monday Morning Podcast, is if they already have microphones and a mixer. <laughs> And then I, I, yeah, I invited Mark onto my podcast and I'm like, I got to rescue Pitbull. I don't want to get sued (laughs) a half hour into it. So I'm literally sitting in Mark's compound out here. Yeah. And you brought your own equipment, which I thought was very polite idea, but I just automatically assume we just jump on my mics and. Oh, you you don't think I'm a gentleman? No, no, I I brought my own mixer. I brought my own mics. And then when we sit there and I'm sitting there with my little stupid fucking travel radio show and i'm like i got a mixer and all that and then mark's finally well you know i kind of got that already set up you want to use mine yeah. all right i got the travel bag i got the bag right there for when i have to uh you know talk to people on the road in hotel rooms and all make right. them feel awkward look mark i'm not yes, gonna sir. lie to you my relationship's on the rocks and i've officially moved in you don't realize it oh my god no i'm fucking with you yeah I'm i got my shit in the car <laughs> okay that's all right buddy if you can just sleep in here and if you know how to run a mixer you can help me out there we go. Yeah, can I be your assistant? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people try to move up in this business. I'm going to try to go backwards. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. All right. So I'm in I'm in Scotland for the Glasgow Festival for five days, and I'm uh-huh. playing pub basements. And I did my one man show at a, in, not in a pub basement, but in a pub uh, uh, attic. Okay. And I see posters of you. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're betting the big money on Bill Burr. I talking to the yeah. promoter there. I'm like, does he have a big draw out here? She's like, I don't know. We're going to see how yeah. it go. Um, I drew like 200, and then they, they papered another 400 drunk Scots oh! to get him in there at the uh, at the King's Theater. But it went great, you know. Hopefully, uh, you know, I'll come back again. I mean, how'd you feel? I loved it over there. I had I actually, I, and I talked about it on my podcast, I had a great time because I had a resentment of the, the Scots and of the U.K. in general only because the last time I went there, I had a bad experience, and I, and I chose to blame them other than myself. What, what happened? Well, I was in I was in Edinburgh for thirty days doing that Fringe Festival, and I you know I was literally three months since my wife left me. I was miserable. I was broken, and I was on a double bill with Kirk Fox that we were brought out there, which is uh, uh, the best part of it because they paid for our lodging and everything else. Usually, you have right. to pay for your own shit. 
and I couldn't give it away. I mean, we were drawing audiences of nine, and you know, after two weeks of uh, that, you're like, holy crap! You want to kill yourself? Yeah, it's like it's like open mic every night. It's like doing a show in Dedham. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like it's like doing a show at a bar in Dedham. Well, you know what's funny, dude? That's why I never did Edinburgh. I always wanted to go over there, but it's a fucking month. Same thing with Australia. There's some sort of Australia comedy festival, and it's like, well, can I go there for ten days? They're like, no, you got to be over here for thirty days, and it's like. Well, you, what? Well, the, the way they what work. What am I supposed it, to do with my fucking life back here? Yeah, you just you put it on hold. You get somebody to watch your dog, and you hope your girlfriend doesn't run away. Yeah, that's that Tiger Woods shit I was talking about last week when I went off on his wife. Yo, these fucking these fucking women who they they get like uh, I don't they, get they, it. Where, where they they had they they marry these rich fucking guys. Yeah. They don't have a job. Right. And then they have kids, and they still get help. They get like a fucking nanny. There's somebody clipping the hedges. They they, sure. they, they don't do... There's somebody clipping the kid. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. So I said... So it's jokingly just fucking around. I was saying the reason why I messed around on her is because she's lazy. Oh, yeah. And it's that's very... I don't know about you. That's very untra- unattractive uh, 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 quality. Well, look, Messy. If you want lazy. To, yeah. The same shit they don't like. Well, who, who knows? I mean, if you want to talk about entitlement, you know, I just found, you know, because I've had to process this over and over again in, in terms of... Uh, in terms of what the whole spousal support thing. I mean, my mm-hmm. wife didn't, have, you know, she wrote a book. She didn't have a job or whatever. And then after it's done, you think you're equals. But then they're like, you know, I want support. I want this. And they can exploit that. That's the saddest thing about fucking divorce is that it's set up so the woman can break you no matter what. Yeah. And the reason I was put into place might have been in earnest. I mean, if you think about people when they first put support, spousal support, I'm talking without kids, not alimony, spousal support. All so right. granted, if you're married to a woman for 20 years and she's been doing nothing but making you feel better for your right. miserable life, and then all of a sudden it's done because you went and fucked somebody, you did whatever, and she's got to enter the world again with nothing, I understand. Well, you, she owes a, a, you owe her a little payment right. to get herself started. But if you're married fucking 10 minutes... And the chick is perfectly capable of doing whatever the fuck she needs to yeah. do to make a living. And then she still busts you and takes half your well, shit. Well, that's that shit where it's like when it's a good, when it's, when there's something good on the table, they're just as good as you and they're equals and they want their 50%. But when it's something bad, oh, I'm just a girl. That's I'm a exact, kid. I'm that's a fucking exactly kid. It. And they get it coming and going because guys want to fuck them. That, okay? Of course. And that's why the judge, the judge, half the time when he's judging against you is thinking yeah. he's going to fucking get some action with your ex-wife. Oh, yeah, Maybe oh, if yeah. I judge towards, he throws her a little look, a little right. wink. You're we, sitting there like, am I not fucking sitting here? Well, right. So I'm married to this woman. She's a comic. She's an equal. I we always she's said, a cunt. I was like, wow, you're really going to fucking. Yo, yo, no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> look, I will take my, I will own my, my shit there. there I go. had an anger problem. You know, it took me a long time to learn that, you know, but I did learn that if you're an angry guy, that means you're probably with somebody married to or living with or involved in a relationship with someone who's a pain sponge that will deserve, you know, absorb your bile and bullshit until they right. can't take anymore. And then they'll want to be wrung out by somebody else. But, you know, as an angry guy, I knew that what I learned is that, you know, when you're angry, you compensate for it in other ways. You know, like I used to make her breakfast, you know, espresso, waffles, pancakes, you know, well, knowing she, that she softly weeped in the corner. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this will make up for it. But, but what I learned, you know, after, uh, after nine years, there's no number of pancakes. A race says, "Shut the fuck up! Yeah. Shut your fucking mouth!" <laughs> yeah. Le, 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 le. Yeah. Hey, well, listen. The... Before we get we get too deep, why don't we? Uh, why don't we back up here for a second? Scotland. I, no, just because I've known you so long. Yeah. You know, some of my listeners here cross pollinate here, just so they know. You know uh, how long you've been doing stand up, or where you started out. Uh, let, let's let's get in. Okay, let's, let's all right. Do a little uh, stand up inside the actor studio. I think that the first time uh, you know I, I did stand up, I was in uh, I was in college. You know, I did an open mic. I was in a team with another guy. 
Uh, I met in college. Guy Steve Brill went on oh, to so do you big went, things. So you went on stage with, with, with another guy? Yeah, a, uh, originally we put the, we put the, I put my first stand-up together. I always wanted to do it. But I met this guy in college who uh, we auditioned for something. Catch a Rising Star at that time. It must have been 80, 83, 82, 83. And that's in Cambridge in Boston. No, no. This was the original one. That one didn't exist then. It was the, the original Catch a Rising Star that was still up on the Upper East Side in uh, – in New York City, the near, original near, near catch. the Green Kitchen, right? Right. Okay. So, uh, so they had posted all these signs around my college, uh, you know, uh, Catch Rising Star Live on campus. They were putting together a show, like a showcase of college acts, like new okay. acts. So, so we put together this team bit, and we auditioned for them, you know, in a room, and they liked it. And then we we uh, auditioned for them. Uh, what was what was the name of it? Marin and something. Or? I don't remember if we had a name. I think it was just Marin and Brill. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a series of sketches. It wasn't even real team. It wasn't like team comedy. It wasn't like a straight guy and a goofy guy. We right. actually had several different sketches that we did. I kind of remember them. The, the one sketch was, uh, you know, where the word um, nigger came from. Oh, Jesus. You came right out with both barrels. Well, no, it was like, and I, and I hate to say that word even, you know, even in the context of, uh, of uh, you know, casual conversation, even though I, because yeah, I got in trouble for that once. When what? Oh, well, I said, was trying to have a conversation about that word with a couple of black comics, and I said the word as I just did now, and and a woman in my audience said, "Just the fact that you said it, I'm I'm done with you." See, that's retarded. I, that's I another think so. word you're not supposed to fucking say. It's just how like you, you can't even like that. That's when you uh, people who do stuff like that. It's like they're not even listening to you. They just have lists of words like these words are good. Well, I, these I words are bad. There's, there's no like uh, right. But I can't no negate context. the feeling that she had. I mean, you know, if, if that word, no matter what context it is, makes her horrendously upset, then there's nothing I can do about that. Whether it's right or wrong, I you know I can't uh, account for her feelings. So we did that sketch, which was these two. Uh, these two guys, they were like, you know, white guys who were working and they were trying to name the, you know, to, to figure out a nickname for the people. And it was like diggers and it was stupid. Right. And then we did another one. <laughs> we did um, uh, Neil Armstrong's. If Neil Armstrong were on the moon, the first moonwalk, if you were on acid. So my buddy played ground control and I play, and I was doing the bit where I was on the that moon. That must have crushed. Yeah, it did well. And then we did another one, uh, 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 a Jap's funeral. Like we did these two Jewish girls who were at a funeral of a friend, you know, and they were like, oh, my God, she looks so thin. You know, that kind of shit. Well, there you go. You kind of got everybody yeah yeah we know blacks it. jews yeah and and astronauts yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happens then is that uh we uh you know they we 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 audition at the comedy connection we go to do it live we've done it in a room and they said we want to see you live and we bombed bombed uh, it's just like a sucking silence now what, what do you think so the wait a minute wait so the first time you ever did it on comedy stage now i've always said the first time if if i bomb the first time i don't know if i would ever have the courage to go back and do it again. Well, th- well, that that but see, that's the difference between people that are are are, yeah, are hooked on it and people, yeah, people who are born comics and people who are just you know dabbling. Is that like really, if you bombed, you would have done it again? It would have. It would have taken me a minute. I would yeah. have been like the just the, the sheer fucking embarrassment of. Uh, of taking the well, well, I mean, you can. Still, this is a deal with stand up. You, you can still eat it today. I'm 18 years in. Oh, I can, yeah, I, you yeah, can eat it. Bomb, but this is the thing. You have years. Of good shows to be like, well, you know, I know I don't suck at this. I had a bad night, but, you know, right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. The bad night thing is hard to, to really get around your head because it still hurts me if I bomb. But when you're up there and you know, you know, this whole idea that, you know, uh, it's, it's never the audience is bullshit. I mean, sometimes it's right. the audience. Right. And you know, like you, you can tell, you know, you've done your shit and you can see where they're peaking laughter wise. And you know, after a certain point that you know, they're not going to go any further than that. 
So I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to realize this is the best I'm gonna do in this situation, and either eat it, you know, and take the hit, or or make light of the fact. Yeah, I've I've learned like there's nothing worse than being angry on stage. But I heard I actually heard a funny story last night. I was doing a gig in uh, this uh, this booker Jeff Wills from the, uh, the sure, punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was telling a story he saw one night. Uh, said Bill Hicks did an entire show with his back to the audience. It was like a bachelorette party. There was every fucking thing he did. Yeah, those you know those bookers. They love to talk about those stories, you know. But if anyone else did that now, they would never fucking work in that club again. All these guys pretend like you know, like oh, Bill Hicks was the guy, and he went on stage and angrily tanked in a brilliant, inspired way right. almost all the time. But if someone existed like that now, he wouldn't have a fucking shot. You think so? Absolutely. Well, I bet I bet he was still selling tickets at that point because you, you can't you can't you can't turn your back on a fucking crowd and and ever think that you're gonna. Work I don't think again, that's true. Like, I think that the reason he got booked in this country primarily was to to make club owners feel like they were, you know, they were at least championing something terrific. Really? Like, I think they innately knew this guy was special. There was no one like him. And even the fact that he didn't sell tickets or alienated the audience every time, they were going to have him twice a year to keep their conscience straight. Oh, so they could be dicks to everybody else, basically? Well, kind of, but just to oh. sort of like to, to at least support, that at least they knew well enough that he was an inspired guy. But I've gotten angry on stage. I did it the other night, dude, and, I, and, it, and it would have been a long time because I used to snap all the time. I was going to say that's kind of an understatement coming from you. Yeah, but, but – that, That's like me saying I've snapped. No, but, I, but you know, I'm pretty accessible now. No, no. Yeah, you're, you're way you're – way, uh... But it happened at the store, dude. It happened at the – How long ago? I, two nights ago. And I, I – <laughs> I, 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 I He's doing this whole thing. Yeah, much better now. Much better now. But I snapped one time. What was it? Yeah, about 48 hours ago. I couldn't believe I did it. I was such a different person. But you know that place brings it out of you. Come on. The comedy store brings it out of you sometimes. I, that's what I love it, though. It's Me too. So, it's so fucking so, evil. Well, so, I'm on stage. It is evil. It is. It's just painted It feeds on, on, on hate. You know, you, you feel the walls wanting you to lose it. You know, it's just in the place. Yeah. So I'm on stage. There's like 40 people in the room. And like, I'm already like, just right when I get in there, you know, some kid, that kid, David Taylor, you know, that kid, he's David. a tall guy. He used to do comedy. He's very, you know, cynical and negative. And I just, I wasn't in the mood for it. I hadn't seen him in months. And, okay. and I said hi to him. And he goes, I'm staying around just to see you. You better be good. And so right away, I'm like, I haven't seen you in a fucking long time. You have no right to fucking talk like that to me. Enough with the negative no, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I walk, I stormed <laughs> off. You're getting angry again here. I'm already <laughs> angry for it. And I walk back. You're and making me like, feel really good about myself, by uh, the way, because usually I sound like the angry psycho. I can be like the happy person yeah, this week. Take, take a break. Yeah, there you go. Go ahead. You so, go. All right, so so I get on stage. <laughs> Madrigal went on, who I think is, is just terrific. I love Al. He's oh, fun, yeah. I think he's fucking hilarious. Totally he's original, too. Unique stylist. Real storyteller. He does good, you know, and then he brings me up. And, you know, and I'm, I'm getting laughs. There's only like 30 or 40 people in the OR. And it's going fine. There's an old couple up front, you know, maybe in their mid-50s, early 60s. And they, someone talked to him, and they, and they asked him about religion. I think Neil Brennan did. And they said they were Jews. I'm like, fine. So I'm doing my show, and they're not laughing at nothing. And I looked at them, and I said, uh, I'm sorry. Am I too filthy? You want me to talk some political stuff? You know, is, is that what it is? And then the, the old man looks at me and goes, you're not funny. And I, and I just had this moment where I'm like, all right, dude. All right. And I said, you know what? I am funny. I know I'm funny. I'm doing well with the rest of the audience. All right. And, and, I, and, and I, I understand what you're saying. And, uh, and then, like, for some reason, I just looked at him. I said, but the fact that that's what you had to pull out of your guts to say to me in this situation makes me fucking hate you. <laughs> 
And, and, and then there's no so, real punchline there, Mark. Right, so, right, right. so now you lose the rest of the crowd. Well, that's right. There's this quiet in the room, and I'm like, what? Wait, that wasn't funny? How, what did I say? Did it not come out funny? Now you turn on the rest of them. Okay. Right, right. Then I turn on the rest of them. <laughs> And, and then uh, and, and then he goes, you know, you asked. And I said, well, you, you could have qualified it. Like, how about you're not funny to me? All of a sudden, you're the god of this fucking room. You're the almighty. You're the one that has the last word. Fuck that. Right? And so then, and then like, I Now, were you in a bad mood before you got there? Because you're really, A little. Because so, I got to say, the read of this guy saying you're not funny sounds to me like you said some shit that he didn't want to hear. It was more of a subject thing, not, not the... No, I just... Funny. It was a general thing. So then I, in the rest of the act, I'm doing my act and everyone's laughing. Every time everyone else laughed, I looked at him and I went, huh? Huh? And then, like, you know, at the end of my set, I'm bringing up Brenda's easy. And he, he stands up with his wife and they walk out and while I'm still on stage bringing up Steve. And I go, very powerful statement. Very powerful. <laughs> I'll see you later, Dad. Oh, Jesus, Mark. Because that's what I said to him. I said, hey, you know, it's like every fucking Jewish guy that has that kind of judgment that's your age is just some surrogate for my father. And I understand I'm, transla- I'm, I'm transposing some contempt on you, but you could have fucking chose a different way. All right. All right. Anyway, so Mark Marin here on yeah. the Monday Morning Podcast. Well, that's not funny. And All right. So anyways- no, 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 no. I'm just letting people know. I'm acting. You know what I, I just did there? I acted like this was a live show. I like it. Like we're going to take some calls? Yeah, like we're going to take some calls. <laughs> we're actually doing this on uh, Easter Sunday. And I, uh, Mark asked me what I want to do. And I said, oh, we'll do it Sunday. And he goes, you, you do realize it's Easter. And I was like, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm really not into that shit. But I actually went to church this morning with my, uh, with my girlfriend and her, and her mom because her mom goes. So I, I went with her. And, uh, dude, you should have heard the homily. Yeah. The guy was up there. The homilies basically after they tell one of those, you're Jewish, right? Yeah. Yeah. So after they tell like the, uh, the little Jesus ditty. Right? Yeah. They, right. have, they have like an opener. Yeah. He tells a couple of little sure. ones. Then the priest brings it home. You know, yeah. it's all dressed up. The headliner yeah. comes Is it Catholic? Sure? A Catholic? Yeah, yeah, Catholic. No yeah. kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Raping kids, the whole yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Deaf well, kids looking that, confused outside. How yeah. the hell is that? How does anyone any, adhere to that religion after this? Is, you you can't. Number, you the, can't. I even, to, I even was talking to some, some older people. They were saying the same thing. Like when the collection thing went around, I wanted to give money for the fucking car wash or whatever. But I'm thinking like, yeah, but isn't this going to go towards a defense attorney for somebody who diddled a fucking deaf kid? I'm not giving you any more money. It, sort uh, that out first. That's right. I mean, and, and now it's like it's not an American thing. It's also in Europe, and it's and the numbers, and this has been going on for generations. It's almost like it was a contest with these guys. It's like yeah. if you do one, <laughs> doesn't count if you do the same kid twice. Yeah. I'm winning. If you want to be a cardinal? You yeah. got to diddle at least fucking three. I have a theory about it. I think I know why. Uh, that Why? there are so many gay uh, or, or pedophile priests. Because I think that these communities going back you know, hundreds of years, certainly in this country, and I imagine in other countries, that when a mother or a community saw that one of their male kids was going the way of the, the cock, yeah. they, they started to pick up that they were feminine. I mean, they, they, you, know, you know, communities aren't stupid. Yeah, but that's stupid. a gay thing. Just be, no, 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 just no, 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 yeah, no. Wait, okay. let me go this way. Right. I, I know what you – no, no. What I'm saying is that when they saw that happening, they muscled these kids into the priesthood. They said that as, as opposed to live a life of sin as a homosexual, probably go that way. Let's push them towards the priesthood. Now, the, and, and I'm not saying so this that, will offset the dick sucking. That's right. And I think what happens is, is that they couldn't do that in the priesthood. So I think a lot of them, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're, they're homosexuals. I know that they're pedophiles. But I think that the guilt compounded with the uh, idea that they may have been homosexual. And then that actually made them more evil because then they, they would prey upon these kids that couldn't say anything. That, you know, they could terrify and completely control with this horrendous urge they have. I got to be honest with you. I have no idea because it fascinates me because, like, um, I think because a lot of people out there, they confuse uh, it being gay with being a pedophile because it is a guy and a boy. You know what I mean? So no, it's you, completely so different. Yeah, because it's like, all right, 
you know, you could stick me in, in that place and say that I can't hook up with anybody. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm still not going to tr- fuck a little girl. You know what I mean? No, I like know. They're, they're, they're but pedophiles. I think, but I think that they, that's absolutely true. But I'm saying that I bet you a lot of them were probably on the, on the, on the, tra- on the train if they weren't abused by priests themselves. Yeah. On, on the train. Well, that's the thing about those guys is what they've 16,000. It's like not only you ruin you ruin someone's life the second you do that. Their childhood is fucking over. You ruin you, them. You blow a hole in their soul. It's, it's over. over. And then this is the thing. And then they go on to have kids. And even if they even if they don't do anything to them, it's just it detached. I mean, you generations. And you oh, talk, yeah. you're talking 16,000 people like that old Pearl commercial. They have five kids. They have five kids. They're all affected by that. Oh, fucking, absolutely. And that, you know that, what? That, that, they're that all thing. troubled and lost. So they are more candidates for the for, for the church. Yeah, they, they act. They, they, these or they are, become comedians. That's right. They're actually creating <laughs> new lost people <laughs> in hopes that they will come back to the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I think this this priest, because it was of, mandated of, 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 of all of that shit was kind of open this week. This priest, I guess, this guy's kind of like he's like the, the the instead of the comics comic, this guy's like the priest priest. Like oh, he yeah, tells him, in like, the back of the room, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the deacons in the back. <laughs> like this guy's great. This guy's great. <laughs> no, but he um he like he's actually admitted that he actually thought about leaving the priesthood for a while. He's actually said because that during, of it. Not I, he didn't say why. Uh-huh. But today during his homily, when he's uh, surmising the Jesus story, he said something. He goes, you know. Um, a lot of people look at this religion, you know, look at our religion like we do. We say the, uh, the, the, the wafer is the body of Christ and the wine is his blood. And they think that's nonsense. A lot of people think that because we think that Jesus dwells in all of us, that that's nonsense. And he kept going, kept talking about major cornerstones of the religion and people thinking it was nonsense. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, this is like the fucking Domino's pizza moment where they finally admit that their pizza sucks. Remember oh, that? Yeah. Hold like, on, dude, what I think happened? I fucked up. We're not recording? No, we are recording, but I, I thought, I think. See, this is why hang, we should have used hang out a fucking mixer. Hang out. to me one. Okay, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. Yeah, there was a little jump there. I apologize. <laughs> I think we're okay. I thought I had the you metric. You completely freaked on me. We just actually, literally, for the first time in the two and a half years of the Monday morning podcast, it came, it stopped. It never stops. Well, don't, well, it's, don't a li- it's, it's, a, keep... it's a live goddamn show. Yeah, but I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a. Oh, he. Yeah, he thought he thought the metronome was on. That would be bad. My bad. My bad. All right, just, so yeah, so he was basically body of Christ. Yeah, and he's sitting there. He's having like the Domino's pizza moment. You know where they they admit that their pizza sucked after yeah. all these years. Yeah, and then they still try to put out a fucking large pizza for five bucks. Yeah. What do you think it's going to taste like, you idiots? <laughs> but he somehow spun it around where uh, it, it was it was the close. He, you know what he's doing? He's actually telling the truth, the way he can tell the truth. Without having it be a national scandal, just going. I can't explain the way he did it. The guy, he's fucking good. I gotta admit it. I gotta admit it. David I, Tell was a priest. Yeah, this yeah. guy. He got you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, they, I mean, this guy. This guy is good. Look, and I, I got into it this week with like I used to do this 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 section on on the podcast called Oh Jesus, and I would talk about uh, a religion, and you know, for the most part, you know, I was saying that. They, they, I don't know. I can't even get into it. But every once in a while, people listen to the old podcast where I was kind of trash and organized religion, and and they come at me and they drive me fucking nuts because they they just make grand statements. Like you're like like I, I said, you know, I, I went to, like I went to church for the first time in 15 years, like a month, like two months ago, right? And when I went. It was like I didn't like what they were saying, but there was a feeling I had. I like the sense of community. And then what they do is they go, yeah, that feeling you were feeling, that was Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah They yeah, always right. got it. They, they, like, they own that fucking feeling. So then I'm sitting there going, like, talking about their fucking stories that don't even make sense. Adam and Eve, forget about how, you know, their, their kids would then have to fuck and then we'd be all descendants of retarded children, right? 
They, they, they don't even address the dinosaurs. I'm like, what about the dinosaurs and all that? Never address that. They always just, they never, in the emails back and forth, they will never address the fucking point you make. They just spin it all off into others. It's okay. Jesus is waiting for you and all this type of shit. And it, it just, it drives me fucking nuts. Like, and then I, I, I show them where science, like, this is what I can't stand. They, they'll attack scientists and say what they're saying is wrong until they can't fucking deny it anymore. Like the fact that the, that the sun doesn't go around the earth and after they've tortured and killed fucking people, then what they do is then they embrace it and then they act like it's theirs. And then they're like, well, who made the scientist? Jesus made the scientist. Sure. And it's like. It's just a spin thing. And they, they just hold on to their beliefs until it becomes irrefutable. And then they it's sort of like those people like, well, how I what I always thought was fascinating is that these cults. You remember years ago, there was more of them where you'd have this cult where the leader would say the world is going to end on this date. Tom right. Tomorrow's the day. Yeah. And they get these, these followers frothing mad and like ready, prepared. They're underground. They're in bunkers. They're going to go. They're all strapped in. And then the day comes and it passes. And it doesn't happen. I would love to be at that sermon. Yeah. Because then it's sort of like, well, you know, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And now that we've got all this underground infrastructure. He's testing us. That's right. He's let's, testing us. Let's start a mushroom farm. Let's use this. Yeah, now that we're in the basement, I just don't understand how they re re rebut I'll that. I'll tell you why. Because you got people who are so fucking stupid. They're stupid. That's that, true. That, 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 that you, yeah, you got to. But you're seeing that now even outside of religion, even in politics, that because there's so much information out there, people, here's, here's what really fascinates me, is they will believe what they believe and you can't shake their beliefs even with facts because now because there's so much information because of the internet they can just go well that's your version that's that's the spin the truth yeah the facts are the spin and that they you know that you, you can believe that but you're wrong no dude it, it drives me it drives me nuts and, they, and, and then they'll just like at one point uh i will go like any like you guys have persecuted science. Like, basically, my, my, my theory is that science is religion for intelligent people, forward-thinking people, and religion is science for morons. Because whatever they can't explain, they just invent fucking bushes talking to people sure. and albatrosses or whatever the fuck they have. Conspiracy theories so, the same way. And, and this is what they ended up saying. She ends up writing back, well, actually, science has proven the Bible correct over and over again. So yeah. I'm like, okay. What's the where's the follow up statement to support that? Nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. There's yeah. no no follow up statement whatsoever. All they do is they just they 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 like I can actually sit here and prove to you that the fucking earth goes around the sun because of scientists. I'm too fucking stupid to prove it. But it actually on paper makes sense. None of their shit can be proven on paper. And and then when when you show stuff that can be proven on paper that disproves their shit, then they do that shit. Well, well, God created the scientist. He created the paper that they wrote it. Like yeah, they just sort of short circuit. I actually find I tapped out in that moment. I was like, you know what? I get it now. You you no matter what I say are going to believe what you're going to say, and I'm never going to convince you. That's right. Of the way that I think. So fuck it. So I'm done with it. Belief is a funny thing. I'm belief, done with it. Yeah, you can't, you can't go to – there's no reason to go to war with those people because belief is impenetrable no matter how delusional they are. It's based in complete ignorance, and, and it's, something, it's something outside of, of intelligence. Yeah, but this is what I don't get because I bought into it when I was a kid. Well, you were and scared. I, and you, I, I, was, I was listening to it. Well, scared and then also thinking like, all right, and some of this is good. It was like my fucking house. It was like my life. Some of it was good. Some of it was bad. But then it just got to a point where it's like – this shit doesn't make sense, and it's so loud in your head, you can't ignore it. And I don't understand. I well, that's because uh, you're, you're. This is a real fucking arrogant statement. I'm going to yeah. say only like, you got to be a moron to just continue to, uh, to 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 block it out. 
Well, that's the difference between free thinking and, and thinking based in fear. You, you know, because like the, the way it works in my mind is, look, the world is a scary place. Everything is is serendipitous. Who the hell knows when you're going to get hit by a truck? Who knows when the earth is going to fall into the sea or start shaking? No one knows anything. There's very little. There's very few things we have control over in right. our life. There just is. I mean, you, you know, I, hell, this this garage could slide down the hill at any second. Who the hell knows? Very few things out of our uh, are in our control. Almost nothing. Right. Now, depending on how frightening that is, even if you understand everything in, in uh, uh, you know, proportionately, like, you know, the, the possibility of this happening versus that happening, even if you're scientific about the, the, how, 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 how much fate has to do with our everyday life, that is not completely comforting. So depending on how overwhelmed you are. Right. Oh, that, I told, I, yeah. So, so I believe on some level the need to believe or feel like you're part of something bigger than you to, to sort of justify your existence or make you feel comfortable in the world is probably almost genetic. I, I just feel that, that, that the way communities function or whatever. But, you know, you can make it your community. You can make it uh, your television. You can make it sports. Wh- whatever right. the hell it is, there's part of our brain that wants to be part of a bigger thing in order to feel that we're significant. Dude, I think you just go in the ground and I'm comfortable with well, that. Well, that's, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. I'm not going to exist. I'm going to be. Right. But I'm just talking about the need to believe. Now, you know, what you're, you're going to be able to grow unbelievable potatoes. But that's fine. With that's my practical. Irish DNA in the soil. But I think that the people that whose lives are so fucking miserable that they can't even fathom it. As opposed it. to us happy-go-lucky sons of well, bitches. Well, we got a lot to be grateful for. <laughs> we do. Doesn't mean we appreciate it. That's true. That's true. But, but, but there, I think there are some people that can't handle it. And, and the, the idea of heaven to them, which is, I agree with you, is ridiculous and, and frankly boring. I, I mean, the idea that we live forever, I, you know, I can barely get through this one. Right. And, 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 the, and the idea that, <laughs> and the idea that like, it's going to be better no, because... the fucking uh, boredom. Oh, and my then, God. And, then, and, and it doesn't even make sense. Like, if, if it's absolute fucking euphoria forever, it would get boring. Oh, my God. It would yeah. get boring, and that's like... At some point, you'd be like, can I get a day pass to hell? I want to fucking yeah. have a good time. It'd be, the hell would be like Vegas in heaven. <laughs> Tijuana. Where are you going? I'm going to hell for three <laughs> weeks. I got some time off from this tedious fucking happy bullshit. Yeah, I, I want to be able to feel happiness again. Yeah, yeah, Light yeah. me on fire for fucking yeah. three weeks so hey, I can appreciate you this. You got to go. Have you been to the fifth ring? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, dude, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went there. The wife and I went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was tremendous. They had great performers. You know, all the comics went to hell, so they're all there. You got to go to the fifth ring. It's tremendous. Yeah, great show. Great only, show. Only the hacks. Not even the hacks. The you can see Houdini there. It's amazing. Dude, speaking of that, you know, I, I did a uh, like I did a theater. Uh, what was it? The San Jose Improv recently, and uh, he allegedly performed there. And all these guys. It was fun. It was a classic old theater. Yeah. That it had had gone through that hundred year of history of like the most beautiful thing ever, and people flocked. Right. In an opulent place and then yeah. it slowly deteriorated to like a porn porno movie and right. people jerking off and then right. somebody like Jackie Onassis puts some money together yeah. and they fucking revive it. It's got a colorful history of corruption and filth. Oh yeah. Great. Abs- absolutely, those. absolutely. Just so, like show business should. Yeah. So I, I went to I did the uh the Gibson Amphitheater last night for uh that the Kevin and Bean show. Uh radio show out of this cancer band. I remember when uh, Bean was in uh what was the name of the comedy team? Stephen Bean and oh. uh, Chris Zito, Zito and Bean from Boston. Is that right? Yeah. Fuck. You didn't know. I that? didn't know that. Yeah, Chris Bean or or, or Steve, Chris Steve Zito. Bean. I always heard about. I heard yeah. that those guys used to kill. That's that. That's them. Okay. Jew up, Jew up, Jew up, Jew up, Jew up. They used to open with "I'm a Jew." Da 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 da. da. He's a wop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Zito right. and Bean. 
Yeah, that was the fucking 80s, man. That was before... Uh, when, right, when, when, when did you start? Well, getting back to me, uh, after I did the team thing... I was more thinking how <laughs> Jew Wapadoo would actually get a laugh... Well, no, no. Am I, I ignorant to think that shit? We were talking about the, the other night. We were looking at a particular comedian going, you know what? If this was the fucking 80s, this guy would be famous by now. Because it just seemed everybody back then. It's completely if, subjective. If, if, if you have like, if you had any sort of a character, the glasses you're wearing, if you always wore those on stage, if you did three, then, three evening at the improv. Like the guy with the glasses. Yeah, but you can't even get a pair of glasses. It doesn't look like this now. Believe me, I, I don't want to surrender to the horn <laughs> rims, but you really, you really have to you know, struggle and fight to find something different right now. The Buddy Hollies? They're, they're every Everywhere. I mean, some version of them. I used to wear round glasses, remember? And uh, and I, I can't That's, find them You know them what's funny about you? Yeah, you, you got that whole rock star look. So when you wore the round ones, you had the John Lennon look, and now yeah. you, now you're looking a little uh, Buddy Holly in the crickets. That's all right. I, I'd rather be uh, Peggy Sue than uh, than. Uh, no, that's not true. They're they're both good. I'm not going to take anything away from John Lennon. But uh, speaking of the '80s, just quickly because I feel like I left it hanging, is that after I did the team thing, you know, he graduated and went on to direct Adam Sandler movies. I you know I wrote a whatever Steve uh, Brill did. Um, but I, I stayed in Boston and I started on my own. I started uh, playing against Sam's in the basement, doing open mics with Kenny Rogerson and everybody else. My last year of college, I was doing open mics that summer and I drank myself almost to death and was waiting you know, all night long. A lot of people long. have those stories when you bring up Kenny. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I'm not viper. with him, but I used to just wait. I mean, back then, you had to wait to go on until everyone else was done for three people. I couldn't take it. And then when I graduated college, I moved to Hollywood. I became a doorman at the comedy store. I was there for a year, and then I hit the wall on drugs, and then I went back to Boston, started over at Catch Oh, wait a minute. Slow down here. Let's do, let's yeah. do the uh, behind the music here. Mark Maron. Oh, a lot let's, of people know that story already. No, you don't want to put it out there again? Oh, no, I don't care. But I, I mean, what, what, uh, people what? who know me know it. Well, I, I came out to – after I graduated college, I already had a pretty good uh, – coke monkey on my back so i drove out here i, I moved in uh, i was in culver city living with steve just out of curiosity yeah. did you start before the ad campaign co- uh, cocaine the big lie oh of course i started I, I started when the ad campaign was uh, coke it's good for you yeah yeah it was no more addicted than uh, yeah. caffeine good times we were yeah. all doing it <laughs> so i come out here and i move into a place in culver city with steve brill that guy we wrote a screenplay and then i never wanted to talk to him again because it was unbearable and then uh, i auditioned at the store uh, to you know, to to see if I could start doing comedy, and Mitzi said, "You're funny. You can be a doorman." So, uh, so I immediately moved into Crest Hill, and I was a doorman in 1987. Uh, you know, okay. when Kennison was uh, was just starting to come to, to break, and I met. Wow, uh, you saw. Oh, well, I met Carl, and Carl was Sam's best friend, and he uh, Carl he, yeah, yeah, he gave me a watch and said, "You're good people. When Sam comes back, I want you to meet him." And uh, you don't know the story. No, I'll tell it to you. So uh, you can fly through it. I can tell you sick of telling it. No, no, I'm not. I haven't done it that much. And certainly people on your podcast might not know it. The people that don't listen to both of ours. Yeah, but they know they know Sam Kennison. Sam's one of my favorites. This is a selfish fucking moment. I want to I'll tell you a story. It's a great story. All right. Uh, so like, I, you know, I didn't really know that much about Kennison when I got there. I'd seen him once or twice, but I really dismissed him as this novelty act, you know, this screaming guy. And I, I, I wasn't here nor there with him. So when Carl said, I'll meet, introduce you to Sam, I didn't know what that meant. So Sam comes and, you know, and, Car- and Carl's like, this is that guy is talking to you. He's uh, talking about it. He's the new head doorman. And Sam was like, I was a doorman. So you're, you're the new guy, huh? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, man, we should hang out and talk. And I'm like, all right. So, so I'm living in Crest Hill. So he knows that place too, right? 
So the first night I ever hang out with Sam Kennison, he, you know, he comes up to Cresto, which is that house Mitzi used to own, and I'm staying there. You know, and okay. Dice used to live there. A lot of people. So that yeah, that's that classic house. Just to tell my listeners know when, when comics like you would move out to L.A. If if Mitzi tapped you on the shoulder and knighted you, you then moved into this house, right? Where you had to pay rent and also drive the fucking jeep and take you know get her her chicken. Oh yeah, salad yeah, totally, and, yeah. totally. But like the amount of comedians who live there. Oh from- yeah, Dice lived there. The Todd lived there. Tamayo. This was the, the, the tricky thing. Tamayo Otsuki, who used to date Sam, was a Japanese comic. I don't know what uh-huh. happened to her, but she lived upstairs. You know, I lived in Dice's old room. Uh, Todd wasn't moved in yet. I'm trying to think of who Todd, uh, who? Todd Lemish. He he w- later went on to have. A, he used to call himself the Todd, and he eventually had some sort of aneurysm, and and you know showed up at the club saying, you know, years after Sam died, saying Sam's coming, and you know he was sent to Florida. But I, but it's that's a <laughs> Sh- Schubert lived there for a while. See that place is evil. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. So uh, so what happens is I'm living up there, and and uh, and Sam says, you know, let's go up to the house, you know, and this is the way it worked back then. Is Monday night uh, in the late '80s was no cover night. And all the rooms were free. So all the freaks from Hollywood and everywhere came to the store on Monday night. And that was Sam's night. He would show up at about 1130, 12 o'clock on a Monday, take over the stage in the main room, which was just filled with rock and roll drug freaks and just Sam's oh, now this people. Is, this is like hair metal, hair metal days, all, right? All different kinds. Yeah, hair metal. The end of, towards the end of hair metal, yeah. So, like, you know, the people that would come to the club, were it was pretty spectacular. You know, and I was a doorman. And at that time, the people you'd see on stage were people like, Dice, Damon Wayans, Kennison. Uh, Pryor was still coming by Jesus occasionally. Christ. Um, you know, <coughs> so I was just, I um, just entered this world, right? So Sam says, let's hang out. So we go up to the house. It's just me and Sam. We're doing coke. He pulls out all this coke. And we're just sitting there. And he's like, so you're the new guy, you know, doing this. And he's looking right in my face. He's like, look me in the eyes, Mayor. And I like a man who can look me in the eyes. And I'm like, holy shit. All right, I'm looking. <laughs> Right, so we're sitting there doing coke, and I thought I was Mr. Rock and Roll. I can handle coke, so I'm doing coke with Sam, and he's laying out the the world, you know, as Sam, you know, he's doing the thing, like, you know, I'll tell you how it works here, Marin, you know. (laughs) And then, like, you know, out of nowhere, he goes, hey, Marin, you ever ever burn money? And I'm like, no, and he's like, let's burn some money. So Sam pulls out these $100 bills, and we start burning money. It's Sam's. I'm figuring, fuck it, yeah, okay, let's burn some money. So we're sitting there burning money, and we're getting (laughs) fucked up. And it's about three thirty four in the morning, and we're out of Coke. And Sam's wasted, and I'm kind of wasted. He's like, we need more You out of money, too? No, he, he, <laughs> he shouldn't have done that to me because I called that back later, and he wasn't that, that happy about it. I mean, I made him do yeah. it. Like, the way this – I'll tell you what happens. This is the first night. So he's like, we're out of Coke. Let's go get some more Coke. And I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't know where we're going. So we get in my car. I'm driving, like, pretty much one of the biggest stars in comedy through the Hollywood Hills at, like, 3.30 in the fucking morning. He's half passed out in my car. Like, and I'm driving. I'm like, where are we going? Where are we going? He like, he, like, wakes up, and he goes, I don't even know you. You could kill me. And I'm like, where are we going, dude? So we end up at this guy's house. <laughs> now, at this point, has he stopped being Sam Kinison and has become some annoying guy that you're partying with? No, he, he, still uh, he was really good at staying in Sam. He's still Sam, okay. Even when he was, like, sloppy, you know, right. when it got pathetic, he still held on to that thing. And it was always sort of menacing. Have you ever burned money? Dude, I, I started too fucking late in this business. Right, so, so All we, the fun was gone. So we get to this guy's house. This guy, who as as time went on, I re- I grew to know was a, a hairdresser by day, but was Sam's coke dealer at the time, and it's out on it's uh, down was down on Crescent Heights. It wasn't that far from the store, so we knock on this door. This guy shows up at the door in his bathrobe, clearly woke him up from sleeping. I got Sam there. He's like, "We need some coke," and we, we barrel into this guy's house, and we're in this guy's bedroom, and Sam just sits on the floor, crashes on the floor. He goes, "Got any? You got any booze?" And and this guy was like, "I just got these miniatures I got on the plane." So now Sam is sitting there with these, like, Smirnoff bottles of vodka. 
drinking the Smirnoff. He looked like a giant. Like yeah. he should have been surrounded by little rock and roll people going Sam. And then, like you know, he passes out on this guy's floor, and you know, the guy gives me the coke. You know, I end up paying for it, and then I go Was out. Is there and, an Asian guy throwing fire fireworks in no, the background? No, no, no. There should have been. There should have been. <laughs> So I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell to tell you. I'm going to take off. I guess you'll deal with him. He's like, you're not fucking leaving him here. I don't want him to pull a Belushi on me. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, oh. fuck. So now I got to like, you know, get him up and walk him out and throw him in the car. And he was big. And I get him back to the house. We go in. He doesn't even do the coke. He ends up crawling on the floor in the living room, just laying on the floor and passing out, which is something he did a lot. Because that house became the party house. Was he draped in the scarves and 12 fucking head wraps? Not yet. I mean, okay. this is early Sam, so it was still just a trench coat and a cap, dude. This wow. is not. This is pre-rock and roll Sam. Jeez, I, I don't have any story that can match this. I'm riveted. Well, the, the story, the, the falling out was, was the better story. I mean, because, like, that year... Well, how does that night end? He just passes out? He passes out, and then, you know, he wakes up, and then, you know, we we build this bond. I get sucked into the Kennison entourage, and I'm now, like, you know, doing my graduate work and cutting coke for Sam Kennison. And <laughs> and it was my job at that point to organize the party. Like, Sam would do this every, every Monday night. It became very taxing because I knew he was coming, and what would happen is he'd show up, and the fucking party would start... And, like, he'd show up at the store, he'd give me a couple hundred bucks, and I'd go buy all the booze and cigarettes and mixers that everyone needed to bring up to the house. So I would get into this pattern. After a while, I knew how long the party could go on for. It could go on for two or three days. I've done you 15 years. I I didn't – I had no idea you did this stuff. Yeah, so, like, so I used to, you know, get this shit. So I'd go buy all this booze, but i know what would happen is that he'd show up with 20 people, and then come day two or three, it'd just be me and Sam and some freaks – like, you know, the, you know, it'd end up like eight people. So I would hide liquor all around the house. Now, are you I, up for the three days? Are you yeah, that yeah, hardcore? Yeah. Gee, how the fuck did you write any jokes? Well, I was only working the belly room, and, you know, we were all in the, we were all in the, in the comedy store school, in the Sam school, which is like, you know, you lived your life as hard as possible, and you got up there, and you fucking did the work. Well, did, so, did other newer comedians resent you that you, you got into the Sam's No, entourage? because, like, at that time, you know, it was like, who the fuck would want to be in that entourage? Right. I mean, at that time, you know, the, the guy who used to be Mitzi's assistant was like, uh, you know, he used to call us the Manson family, because, you know, Sam was like this weird, charismatic freak that dwelled in the underworld, and most of the comics there... We're, you know, we're sort of like, you know, just working comics. I mean, he was one of a kind. That's what always blew my mind. If I can just stop this for just half a second was where did guys like Seinfeld fit in? Because he was around during that time. Like, I just can't imagine like that universe where there was like uh, that, was, that level he, of party. And what, he would just come in. But he was singular in that, you know, he, he, he you know, he was. Uh, you know, he celebrated it. I mean, there's a lot of comics, as you know, and as we all know, that had their abuse and substance problems. But, you know, right. they would try and hide it and just do their job. There were plenty of hacky comics that were fucked up on drugs. Right. But the fact that Sam had to live the life as the beast, like, I'm the beast, he had to honor it. So he was the first one that, that was shameless about it. And then you'd see all these other comics that you, I don't need to drop names or mention names, right. where they'd come around and, you know, they'd hang out and do some blow, but they wouldn't want to be tagged with it. You know, there was yeah, a lot of yeah, guys yeah, that would yeah. hang out and do coke and be like, you know, don't tell nobody. You know, I mean, I saw a lot of that. I mean, there were certain people that would come up and party with us that we weren't allowed to do drugs. Like one time Ted Nugent was hanging around and Sam was like, no drugs because Ted's clean. So we had to sit there and all behave ourselves for the three hours that Nugent sat there and talked Told to Sam. Told wild boar stories. Right. Well, he, Sam used to hold <laughs> court at this house. So I'd go out and stock up the place and set up the party. And then he'd come up with all his freaks. And then it just a lot of times would end up just me and him or two or three people. And eventually... 
I started to lose my mind. And I wasn't progressing as a comic. I was losing a lot of weight. I was sleep deprived. I was driving poor fuckers to the airport in Mitzi's when they had to go play the dunes because that was part of my, my job to work at the store was to drive the guys to the airport. I remember one time I was driving you know, Mendoza and Campanera to the, to the Burbank airport because they had to go play the comedy store that was at the dunes at that time. And I'd been up all night and there was no gas and I could have killed those fucking guys. Jesus Christ. So like, so what ultimately started to happen, I started to lose my mind. You know, you get too sleep deprived, too much drugs. You start, start to hear voices. Yeah, yeah. You start hearing voices in your head. And I, you know, and you're, you're a conspiracy guy. I had a mystical conspiracy organized around Sam and Hollywood and how I, you know, like I used to do this bit about how like, you know, I thought I was special. I didn't think it was a sickness because, you know, when you hear voices in your head, it's never one. It's always many. And you spend a lot of time trying to get them to pick a fucking leader. You know, if right. someone's got something to say, <laughs> step to the front of the head. I need instructions. So I'm losing my mind. And, and thank fucking God, you know, uh, it, it, the shit hit the fan. Uh, ultimately, after almost a year of this living like this, you know, uh, you know, Sam had uh, you know, he, you know, when he, every week. For for a year, you were up for three days straight. Yeah, until unless much. I got out, unless I went out. Well, you know, now two, three, you know, two days. But you'd have to take breaks. I mean, it was you know, he'd go on the road. I mean, it wasn't that steady. But you know, it was part of a cycle because right. even when he was gone, we were all hopped up. And uh, like he'd do weird shit, you know. I mean, there one time, you know, there was this chick. I remember one night at the table, there was some girl like sitting at the table. You never knew who showed up there, and I started to get that creepy feeling like someone's going to die and it might be me because there was right. just too much weirdness going on up there. And I remember one night, like, um, some chick was at the table and she had a bandaged wrist, you know, and I didn't know when she was all wasted and like, uh, you know, so I said, why is your wrist bandaged? And she goes, well, I tried to kill myself. And I said, well, why don't you do the other wrist? And she goes, cause I didn't want to fuck up my watch. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And, and then she, she goes, I just remember. So like she goes into the other room and passes out. And a couple hours later, Sparky comes out to me and goes, I think Sam pissed on that girl. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And like, she was laying in Todd's bed and there was piss all over the place. And Sam had this weird thing where occasionally he'd piss on things. It was just, he was weird. So. This is really killing my Sam Kinnis. All right, go ahead. Well, here's, but here's the story though. (laughs) Not like I didn't know he did the drugs. I just don't need to know the peeing. Well, this is the, this is the punchline of the story. And and I apologize if people have heard this story, but it it is sort of comedy lore that you, you, it'll interest you. Okay. There used to be this guy that hung around the comedy store. He was a Satanist. He, his name was Dave London. And uh, I, I'm, I, I should fictionalize his name. His name was Dave. I don't know. What, whatever. <laughs> it's too late. Whatever. So this guy had like a pentagram. Tattoo. I like how you said his whole name. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, I'm going to fictionalize it. And he just said just his real first yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to help out. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or get myself in trouble. So this guy had a pentagram tattooed on his heart. He had 666 on his arm. He had the mark of the Illuminati on the other arm. He looked like Christopher Walken. He was a dope fiend. And he used to hang around the store. And we couldn't get rid of them. You know how the story is. It attracts these fucking people, and they're, they're there. They're, well, because they're... there's no – there's just that open hallway where people well, just – there's it's no also, questions. It's a psychic drain for fucking dark, weird people. It, you know, it's a home. They, right. It's for the for – the, the, the people who don't fit in, fit in at the store, you know, which is why I love it so much. But this guy used to hang around, and Sam hated him. I, don't, I never knew really why. So one night, you know, a couple of nights, I can't remember if it was a couple of days before his HBO special premiered, uh, you know, he brought all his guitars and shit. He played guitar up to the house. And we had this big jam session out on the patio. It was great. Sam brought him up with yeah, the Satanist. Sam, Sam did. did. Sam, okay. I'm just setting yep. up the story. And, you know, he took off and I put all the equipment in my bedroom because Sam didn't want to take it home. So a couple of nights after that, we have a party at the house. You know, Sam's up there. 
And this guy said, Dave, the Satanist shows up and we're all doing drugs and it's getting weird. <laughs> and they're sitting at the table and everyone he's holding court. Sam is and, and Dave's there and a few other people. And, and Dave, the Satanist says, you know, like they're getting into it about Satanism. Like, you know, it's like the beast versus the mini beast. It was ridiculous. And then Dave goes, I'm going to tell Anton LaVey about you. You're not a real Satanist. And Sam just like stands up. And this was a common tactic he used in fighting. He stands up, he throws a drink in this guy's face and pops him. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. like the old throw salt in the guy. Yeah. The, the sand. Yeah. And there's a fight and there's a scuffle. And then, you know, and then I'm like, you know, I break it up and Dave's all fucked up and all the other people in the room are freaked out. And Dave, the Satanist, his shirt's all ripped up. And I'm like, you got to get out of here, man. You just got to get out of here. You got to get out of his face. He's like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fuck that. And I'm like, well, I, I got to leave because I got to pick up a buddy of mine at the airport. I don't know what the hell to do with you. So I lock him in my room. <laughs> All right. I lock him in my room with the guitars. That sounded like a good idea to me, right? So I have to leave because my buddy's flying in. And I told him I'd been hanging out with Sam. And, this and guy you're was, high right now. Oh, of course. I'm always high. So I got to go pick my buddy up at the airport. And I'd been telling him all about Sam, you know, and, and this guy lives in Boston and he's like, a, you know, I used to do coke with him too. And he was excited to come out. So I pick him up at the airport. We go to his hotel and I'm like, I want to stay out of there. I don't want to go back tonight. I'm going to crash at the hotel. So I crash at the hotel. All right. And then we drive back to the house, you know, me and my buddy in the morning. All right. Oh, God. And we walk in and it's like, you know, it, 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 I, I walk into my room and it's been, you know, it, the door had been kicked in. The bed's all fucked up. All the equipment's gone. I'm like, oh, fuck, what happened? Now walk into the living room and there's Sam sitting with two or three other people, a weird mix of people. And they've been at it all night, you know, and I walk in and I'm with my friend and, uh, and I'm like, this is my buddy, Bill. And Sam just sitting there. He goes, Marin. I pissed on your bed. You want to know why? <laughs> and I go, yeah, I, I do want to know why, Sam. He goes, because you let that idiot sleep with my guitars. And, and, oh, I, no. and then apparently I turned to my friend Bill and I said, I told you I knew him. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last time I ever slept in that bed. And then uh, that was. I, did, did the guy fuck up his guitars and everything like that? No, he didn't do anything. Sam just had his fucking freak out. You know, it's manic, psychotic, cocaine freak. I don't know what the hell transpired, but <laughs> I, I never. I knew him. I never slept in that bed again. And <laughs> a couple of days later, I snapped at the store and lost my shit. And uh, I packed up everything. I went up to the Coke dealer who was not the, the hairdresser. At this point, it was this Palestinian dude who was kind of scary. I said, I don't get it, man. I'm kicked out of the group, man. What the fuck am I going to do? And the Coke dealer said, you got to get out of here, man. You got to start your own thing. And when the drug dealer is telling you to leave, yeah. you got to leave. Yeah. So I pack up my car. I gave away everything. <laughs> you need to go I, find Jesus, son. Pack up my car, and I think I'm hearing voices, and, I'm, you know, and, I, and I leave. I leave. I call my brother in Tucson. I said, I'm fucked up. I'm coming to stay with you for a few days till I get straight, and then I got to go clean up. And, uh, you know. Jesus Christ, you sound like Slash. Yeah. Well, this so. It's fucking unbelievable. I was 21 years old, dude. I was 21 years old. All right, I, can I just pause for one second now? All you guys uh, who know when, you know, listen to this podcast a lot, and I talk about my early days of stand up. I swear to God, Mark, when I started stand up in Boston, Massachusetts. I started there the, too. Well, the amount of, of headliners, I would say like 65% of the headliners that I worked with in my first three years. Their opening line to their set was, so I've uh, been sober for six months. Yeah. Everybody was in fucking AA. Everybody had cleaned up. And, and half of those guys were, um, were what's your gum, dude, on the mic there? The, the, uh, half of those guys were like, um, 
like their their wages were getting garnished by the IRS because sure. they, they were making right. like yep. four grand. I know those guys like Sweeney and uh, you know. Yeah, I don't want to name names here. Oh. That's one of the things on the podcast. We don't name names. I forgot oh. to tell you that shit. So they they basically yeah like these guys had fucking you know they'd been making four grand cash every fucking weekend right. for ten years and didn't pay a dime in taxes. Right. And then all of them basically couldn't leave Massachusetts unless they got a written note from the IRS. Yeah. Or some shit. So by the time I came in. The rebellious thing to do was to go on stage sober. It was kind. It was kind. I shouldn't even say rebellious. It was the norm. So when I came in, and the guys I started out with, and I'll mention names here just because I'm not saying anything bad, but I started off with Dane and Patrice, and like those guys just didn't drink. And I came from uh, like me and my friends. We were a bunch of booze bags. Yeah. And when I came in, they didn't drink, and I saw how fucked up these guys were, you know, who messed Beat up. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and some of them had some regret, not all of them, but some of them sure. were like, I should have done that yeah. shit. So I immediately equated with, Oh, getting fucked up is stupid. And so I started my whole career. I started off, you know, worked totally clean and I, w- and I was, and I was totally sober. And then, uh, fucking this year I had to actually go on the wagon for like two and a half months. I don't know what happened. Touring, touring did it to me. No, it's, it breaks you down. It's a tough racket, but you know, I mean, I always wanted to be that. I mean, I, you know, before I got to LA, I always wanted to be, you know, I, all my heroes were fucks up. We were fucked up. You know, all my heroes, all, you know, all the comics, you know, all, everyone I respect. Why is it so romantic that that whole fucking, cause I'm sitting there, don't, don't, cause, look, cause I'm sitting there going like, even as fucked up as that story is, I'm sitting there like feeling like I'm like show business light. Because I don't have any stories no, no, of being no. up for fucking you, three days. And, the, and, and and I'm old enough to know I don't want those fucking stories. But you just don't want to have a boring autobiography. You know, when you do that, when the comedian, well, you know, when you, you finally know. hit and they give you the book deal and you got to have you know, your head on your hand. Like, well, you know, the my truth, take on life. The, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, it doesn't help you. And, you, you know, and if you stay doing that, it will kill you. There, there's no way around it. That, I know, that, but you want to have a couple of fucking stories. Well, no, that's, I a, got, that's a great story. Oh, there's another story when I was hanging out with Sam. Tommy I'm going to start going to AA meetings just to fucking listen to <laughs> Yeah, oh, you should. Tommy <laughs> Lee. I mean, I've been sober over 10 years. Over 10 years. Just, you haven't done anything. No, nothing. I, you know, I got, I got straight, got into the program, you know, you know, learned how to rewire my brain. I've done nothing. I'm, I'm a sober guy. 10 years. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you know what? You're a cool sober guy because I didn't even know that about you. I mentioned to someone last night at the gig going, yeah, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I didn't drink for two and a half months. And then I went to England. I was like, I got to try these beers and beers. And now I'm like bummed when I go three fucking days. And I was like, fuck, I was up to like 75. And then all of a sudden he just got real serious. He goes, you want to get sober? Like really like looking into my soul. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. No, I'm not, I'm not like that. No, the, the only question is, is like, look, you know, I don't care what anyone does, you know, and I, and I certainly appreciate the process of, of drinking and boozing and doing drugs. I loved it. But, it, you know, it really just comes down to if you get to that point, the only time you need to get sober, really, is if you all of a sudden, you know, try to stop and you can't or your life becomes unmanageable. That's it. You know, and, and then that's when you need help. That's it. All right. You know? Well, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm st- uh, I have stopped and done, you know, but I, I, I don't want to stop. <laughs> it's not that I can't. I like it. Like last night, I'm sitting there doing the gig. It was a place I always wanted to perform at. I fucking destroyed. I even yelled out a Blues Brothers line yeah. that John Belushi said on stage. And the, no one got it, but I did it for me. I yeah. just had a fucking great time, you know? And afterwards, I got this big ice chest of fucking Heineken's just staring at me and... I didn't drink one because I knew that, you know, I didn't want one. I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to drink all of them and then stuff my face into the ice when I was done. So I, 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 I like it the way I like cookies. I want to eat the whole fucking bag. All right. So then you know what that's called? What's that? 
Alcoholism. No, it isn't. No kidding. No, don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm, I'm in denial. I'm not an alcoholic. No, 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 no. Look, the bottom line is you can do it however you want. You know, the, you, it's like you, a lot of people, you have to understand something about people in the program is that most of them, you know, who are especially gung ho about it, it saved their fucking life. And it does every fucking day. That's it. You know, and it's, you know, that's really interesting. So now I'll be more forgiving of somebody who, you know, uh, they're like fanatics of any kind, but they're not trying to push Jesus on you. I mean, part of the program is really it's based on helping other alcoholics. So they actually when they do that, it's it's in a way, you know, you know, uh, in terms of, of the way the program works, it's helping them. See, it teaches pathologically self-centered people who can't control themselves to behave like, like regular people by helping other people right. in a very specific way. So, you know, that's it. You know, I mean, it's not usually they don't, it's not a hard line thing and no one's ever going to come up to you like an you know what? You know why I've actually really though, uh, uh, monitored my drinkings because I'm so fucking vain. I like the, uh, the, the, how my face looks a lot better. When you drink? When I don't. Oh, because you when get, I, right. I don't, because I, lo- I, I lose that. Yeah, uh, yeah. sure. Was- well, no, however you want. And then, you know, the thing is, it's like if it's not destroying your life, so be it. And if you want to go up and down and quit here and there, and you know, if it's not destroying your life, that's it. Yeah, like after I go do this, my Easter dinner is going to be, I'm going to go to somebody's house and we're going to watch the Red Sox-Yankees. It's great. Now, how the fuck am no, I No, no, but no I one's not? telling you not to. The thing is, is it really comes down to, you know, in, 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 in light of what you're talking about, if you've tried to stop with all your heart over and over again because you want to stop drinking oh, but and you can't, you can't right. then, then it's something to be addressed. If you want to take a break but you like to drink but it's not ruining your life and you're just a weird kind of controlly guy in your mind and you're like, fuck, I had two months. You know, but if it's not a plague, fuck it. This is, this is what's killing me. I had a buddy of mine. Uh, he, he quit for a minute. And I swear to God, like, he's one of these guys who quit. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you quitting for? You don't have a problem, okay? This guy quit for, like, maybe 17 days, and I think he lost about 30 pounds. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. You were fucking boozing. And he looked great. Yeah. He used to, you know what he looked like? He looked like an Oscar. But that's he was just, <laughs> the exact... I can't wait to hit him with that one. If you, if you knew this yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked literally like his body, the silhouette of an Oscar. And, uh, and... Then one day he called me up and said, ah, you know, I started drinking. And I realized I didn't have a problem. I just was drinking too much and blah, blah, So now he's back on to drinking, okay? I saw him again. And, dude, he looked like fucking hell. <laughs> he looked like he got run over by a bus, man. Terrible. Tricky business. Like, it's a tricky shit, man. Yeah, like he just looked uh, – he, you know what he looked like when he, he stopped drinking for three weeks? You know those fucking shows where they do a makeover? Yeah. We're going to give you a new hip haircut. We're yeah. going to give you yeah. a shiny yeah, shirt. And great. all of a sudden you come walking right in. Off, yeah. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden the women start painting. That's that's what he looked. All, like he came down to the club, and uh, my girlfriend was like, "Jesus, look at you! Wow!" Yeah. And this is the thing about him: he didn't even go to the fucking gym. He just stopped drinking. Yeah. So uh, that is the one aspect of it. It's, it is my face looked better, and then one girl told me that my skin looked great. Yeah. So that's you know I'm so fucking. If that keeps you sober. I'm so great. insecure yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so fucking vain. I'm like, well, you know, well I can't drink my. my my skin's looking great right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I used to talk. I talk about it a lot, you know, in the sense on stage and how it is. I mean, like I said, it's just I'm, I'm happy I lived through it because uh, there's, a, there's periods there, you know, whatever anyone thinks, you know, either that's your life and that's the lifestyle you want to live, or, or you, you're gonna make a drastic change, or you just deal with the ups and downs of it. But I, I used to say when I got sober, I used to say, you know, the great thing about sobriety is how clearly you can see your disappointment, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> thing I was joking about is how fucking long a year is yeah. when you're sober. Uh-huh. It's like I remember every second of this, sh- other than when I was sleeping, it's like 
It was like February. It's like, I can't believe it's not May yet. Yeah. It's just fucking insane. I like that, though. I, I, you know, as I get older, I'd much rather time just drip by than rush by. I, I, I it's brutal. I, I don't even know what happened this last fucking decade. Well, I, mean, I, I, think, I think we're getting close. What, what are we up to there on, on your, uh, your computer? How I, many, how many minutes? I don't know. We have no idea? No. But it's 3.20. What time did we start? About 2.15? Yeah. yeah. We, we might be a little stop. bit over an hour. You want to do it? Uh, yeah, well, let me, let me, let me, okay. uh, let me give a chance here. Uh, you're listening to Mark Marin, and just for the future, when I do these interviews, so uh, it's always uncomfortable giving uh, other comedians compliments where we were such self-loathing people. But I think, seriously, Mark, for my, for my money, you've always been one of, the, one of the fucking best comics in the country. So if Mark is coming to your area, definitely go see him. He's, he does not pander to the audience. He says what the fuck he wants to say. I think you're fucking awesome. And every comic from here on out, if they're on my show... They fit that bill. I don't know if they'll be able to follow your stories, but every once in a while, we're going to do this on the podcast. I'm going to have a comedian that I really admire, and uh, I've admired your work for a long time. So how about let me know some of the gigs, or my listeners know, where you're going to be. Uh, you got anything coming up? Well, yeah, this week, um, I'm going to be in Tempe, Arizona, at the uh, Madcap Theaters. You can go to madcaptheaters.com. That's uh, this weekend, if you're dropping this uh, today. This is Monday. Uh, and I'll be with Eddie Pepitone, madcaptheaters.com, Friday and Saturday. I'll be at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. And then uh, in April, the end of April, I'll be at Comics in New York with Garofalo. Oh, that's a huge show. Good deal, man. And, and, uh, and also hype your podcast. Podcast, WTF with Mark Marin. You can get it at WTFpod.com or you can just go to iTunes and look up WTF. There's a Bill Burr episode on there. And a lot of your favorite <laughs> comics on there. All of them are on there. Well, there you go, man. All right. That's been the Monday Morning Podcast. A very special Monday Morning Podcast from the Mark Marin Bunker out here in uh, L.A. Hope you guys all had a nice Easter and enjoy your week. Toyota, you know, we all agree that reducing emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, yet they make up less than 10% of all new vehicles today. That's because right now they cost more. They're too expensive, just like all new technology. Consumers worry about range and whether or not they'll be able to find a charging station. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture the batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision of a carbon neutral future. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV electric vehicle could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, hey, let's go places.